Right, why don't we just stand up to our feet and make our declaration this morning. It's been a while since we did that together. So um, let's do that. I just want to encourage you to hold your Bible high up in the air. Say this out loud and strong with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing to many people. I receive his word. I believe his word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am. In absolute surrender, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. I want us to spend some time here this morning just thinking about, meditating on obedience to God. Obedience sometimes uh, sounds like a very difficult word. Sounds like, you know, God uh, trying to control our lives and so on. But obedience is really simply honoring God. It's our way of honoring God by honoring his words. If you're able to see your obedience to God as a way of honoring him, as a way of showing honor to him, just by honoring his words, then I think Obedience just takes on a totally new meaning in our lives. I want us to go to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and look at uh, this whole passage. We'll read the background of the passage and then zero in on verses 22 and verses 23. Uh, very familiar scriptures to us. But let's begin reading from verse 1 so we get an understanding of the background. 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to read verse 1 onwards. Samuel also said to Saul... The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So he wanted to preserve them, send them out. Verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people at the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatling, the lamb and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. 
But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went up to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he has gone around, passed by and he's gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13, then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And brought back Agar, king of the Amalekites. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen and the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And that's when Samuel speaks these words. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I have feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned yet. Honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul worshipped the Lord. A very interesting passage where God is uh, dealing with the leader that, that has been set over his people. 
And there are many lessons that you and I can take from here on, on obedience, on the importance of following through with the word that God has spoken into our lives. And here are some things that quickly come to mind. You know, as a leader, God expects you to be responsible for the actions of the people. You know, Saul tried to escape and say, you know, it's the people who've done this. But the mission was given to Saul. You're the leader, you're in charge. And you have to make sure that people follow through on what God desires for them. You cannot excuse yourself and leave the blame on people. Amen? Obedience is required and you're the person in charge. And if, even if the people fail, you will still be held responsible. The second thing that you and I learn here is that partial obedience is still disobedience. See, Saul went out on the mission given to him. You know, probably he completed about 80% of what God wanted him to do. He just spared Agag and the best of the flock. He said, you know, and, and as far as Saul was concerned, he said at least twice it's recorded, I have obeyed. So in his perception, Saul was being obedient. But in God's sight, he was being disobedient because it was only partial obedience. How many times in our lives we partially obey God, but in the issues that God is dealing with us, we choose our own way and we still say, I'm obeying God. The third thing that you and I can glean from this passage is that disobedience for a good cause is still disobedience. You know, Saul tried to give a spiritual twist to this whole thing that was happening. He said, you know, uh, uh, the reason why we spared uh, the best of the cattle uh, is because we actually want to make a sacrifice to God. So he gave a really nice spiritual twist to it. Now we're going to worship God with you, Samuel. with the best of all this cattle. And God said, that is still disobedience. Even if it seems like you're doing something very spiritual, but if we haven't followed through on what God has spoken to us, God still sees it as disobedience. And let's come close. Let's examine verses 22 and 23 very closely. In verse 22, Samuel speaks these powerful words. He says, you know, does God have as great pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord God? God values obedience greater than any sacrifice we make. You know, sometimes we try to condone ourselves, when, you know, condone our disobedience by saying, you know, after all, God, I preach for you every Sunday morning, two services, you know, and I do all this stuff for you. I make all these sacrifices for you. You know, I sing all these thousand songs every day. I mean, I do all these things. So please excuse me in certain areas of my life. And God says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Our, sacri our sacrifices, as many as they may be, as wonderful as they may be, cannot replace obedience. God places a higher value in obedience and all the sacrifices that we make. 
And then in verse 23, God equates disobedience to rebellion and stubbornness. Because he says, you know, you've been disobedient, Saul. This is really rebellion. This is really stubbornness. The word rebellion in the, in the original Hebrew simply means bitterness. For this disobedience is really rebellion. It's bitterness. Maybe it's bitterness towards God, bitterness towards people, bitterness towards circumstances that is expressing itself in disobedience to God. Rebellion. And stubbornness simply means self-will. I want to have my own way. God, I know you have your way. I know this is what is your will is. But I still want to have my own way. Stubbornness. Disobedience is rebellion and stubbornness. And God says it's as good as witchcraft and idolatry. When I walk in disobedience, I'm actually opening the door to the enemy. To another power that's now dominating my life. That's what witchcraft and idolatry is. So disobedience can be very costly. It's rejecting the word that God has spoken into our lives. And I like what Mike Murdoch says. He says disobedience is the seed for tragedy. So many tragedies in our lives are born because of a seed of disobedience. Disobedience is a seed. To tragedy. I would like us to look at obedience from a different perspective. If you go with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, this morning. John, chapter 14, we're going to look at a couple of verses that Jesus spoke on obedience to his word. We go to John, chapter 14, and also look at some verses from chapter 15. John, chapter 14, we'll read verses 21 to 24. John, chapter 14. Verses 21 to 24. Here's what the Lord Jesus says. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, that this was another Jude, He's he's the one who wrote the epistle of Jude. So Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In other words, this is not just my words. These are the words of the Father. Chapter 15, we'll pick up a few verses from there again. Chapter 15 of John, Jesus says in verses 9 and 10. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. have loved you. Abide in my love, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verses 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known 
to you. Powerful words. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You are my friends if you do whatever I tell you to do. So I know all of us love God. But the true expression of love for God is obedience. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. The true expression of love for God is not in all the sacrifices I make. And on all the things that I do for the sake of ministry in the name of God. That's not the true expression of love. The true expression of love is keep my commandments. Obedience. The true expression of faith. The true demonstration of faith is obedience. Amen. But here's what I want us to understand. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I keep my father's commandments and therefore I remain in his love. You know, there are different realms of God's love that you and I can experience. There is the general love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loves everyone. He makes the sun to shine on the good and the evil. He gives them rain, the good and the evil. He loves everyone. And he has sent his son to die for everyone. God loves everybody. But not everybody really understands and experiences the deep realms of God's love. God loves you. But Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, then you will remain in my love. For you to walk in the realm and in in, in the experience of the love of God, here's the key. Keep my commandments. He said, because I also do the same thing. I keep my father's commandments and therefore I abide in his love. Amen. So in order to experience greater realms of the father's love upon our lives, he says, you keep my commandments. You will remain in my love. You will experience my love. The other thing I want us to understand is that we can obey God either as a friend or as a servant. And Jesus wants us to obey him as a friend. He says, you are my friends in John 15. You are my friends if you keep my commandments. And he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. He says, I don't want to relate to you as servants. I want to relate to you as friends. And I want you to keep my commandments as a friend. So the question I want to put for you and me is this. What is the motivation? Why do you obey God? Do you obey God as a friend? Or do we obey God as servants? If you and I obey God as a friend, Our obedience to God is motivated out of friendship. I want to keep this relationship, this close relationship that I have with God. Therefore, I obey him. If I am obeying God as a servant, it is motivated out of fear. Now, everything begins with godly fear. 
but there are different levels in relationship with God. You can relate to God out of purely fear, or you can relate to God as a friend. And he says, I don't want you to be servants relating to me out of fear. I want you to relate to me as a friend. If you obey God as a servant, you do it out of fear. He's the master. He's the boss. I'm a servant. I'll do what he says. That's relating, obeying God out of fear. If you obey God as a friend, you don't want to displease him. You are more concerned about the effect of your disobedience on his heart. He will feel displeased. If you are obeying God as a servant, you don't want to anger him. You are more concerned about what the consequence of disobedience, disobedience will be to you. Fire and brimstone on me. He gets angry, fire and brimstone on me. As a friend, you're concerned about how your disobedience affects his heart. As a servant, you're concerned about what it will do to you. Boom, lightning thunderbolt on me. If you are obeying God as a friend, you will more than gladly go the extra mile. It's nothing for you. If you're obeying God as a servant, you're looking for what you can barely get by with. What's the minimum I should do, God, to keep you happy? If you're obeying God as a friend, Jesus said, I will give you, you will abide in my love. You will enjoy the realms of love, deeper realms of love that no one can enter into. And I will give you access to the things of my heart. If you're obeying God as a servant, you're still in his house. But as a servant, you do not know his heart. Because he says, I'll no longer call you as servants. I call you as friends. And as a friend, I will show you all things. So question to you and me is this. Why? What is it that's motivating you to obey God? Are you obeying as a friend? Or are you obeying as a servant? We are all in the same house. But what motivates us in obedience to God? As a friend, you want to maintain that close relationship. As a friend, you don't want to displease his heart because you know your disobedience affects his heart. As a friend, you gladly go the extra mile. You're not just looking for the bare minimum to get away with. And as a friend, you enjoy the privilege of the realms of God's love and the access to the things of his heart. Why? Do you obey God as a friend or as a servant? So let's just talk about what keeps us from total obedience to God. You know, what are the things that could hinder us from obeying God in everyday life? Uh, there are several things and uh, we'll just talk about a few I think a big problem for many of us is our reasoning. Sometimes the things that God asks of us doesn't just fit our logic. It just doesn't fit our thinking. You know, God, that's just totally unreasonable. Or maybe God, it's the other person's fault, not my fault. Or maybe God, you know, I've done this five times before it didn't work. So why should I do it again, God? You know, it's our reasoning, our, our logic, our, our questioning that hinders us or keeps us from a place of total obedience to God. And interestingly, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we'll read verses 3 to 6, where Paul is talking about the weapons of spiritual warfare. 
And we all get excited about this passage when we talk about, you know, God's given out these weapons and all that. But what I want you to see is that the ultimate purpose of spiritual weapons is to bring you and me into a place of total obedience to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 6, Paul writes this. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. We do not use fleshly weapons. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. God has given us powerful weapons. We can destroy any kind of uh, thought pattern that has been, that is holding somebody captive. We can pull down strongholds. Verse 5, we can cast down arguments and every high thing that's reasoning that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, what God has spoken. And bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And he goes to verse 6. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So what's this whole thing about spiritual warfare and spiritual weapons to pulling down strongholds and casting down imaginations and uh, every high every reasoning that comes against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive why the issue is obedience that we will come to a place where we can put bring every disobedience into subjection after your obedience is complete God's given us spiritual weapons why so that you can walk in total obedience to God yourself first then you become an instrument to bring anything else that's in disobedience into alignment to God. And with these weapons, we can deal with reasonings, arguments, imaginations, thought patterns that are holding people captive. It can all come down so that we can then be released to come to a place of total obedience to God. Other things that hinder us from total obedience is emotions. I don't feel like it, God. You know, my emotions are contrary to what God is asking me to do. I don't feel like it. I, I just feel total opposite of what God is calling me to do. Uh, and so our emotions become a big stumbling block. But you know, Jesus called us not to pamper our emotions, but he called us to deal with severity, with a, deal severely with anything that hinders us from obedience. He put it like this in Matthew 5, 29 and 30. He says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Meaning anything, any emotion, anything that is drawing you away from total obedience to God, deal with it severely. There's a sense of severity with which we must deal with things that are drawing us away from obedience to God. Or it could be pleasing people and the pressure of situations. And that's exactly what Saul found himself in. He the, being the leader be, went on the mission God had assigned for his life. But there was the pressure of people. Maybe Saul didn't intend for it to happen. But the people went in and they, they saved all the best of the cattle. And they came back to boss and said, hey boss, we've got good news for you. We've done what you've told us to do. We've killed everything except we brought Agag and we brought the best of the cattle. We just held it back. And Saul saying, oh no, what do I do now? And probably Saul must have been in a dilemma at that time. I said, you know, should I just go ahead and tell them to execute everything? Or should I just try to, you know, play to their tune, make them happy and somehow give a spiritual twist to this whole thing so when Samuel shows up, I'll keep him happy too. There was a pressure of people and the situation. And Saul unfortunately gave in 
to the pressure of the people and the situation. So he gave a spiritual twist to it when Samuel came and said, hey, 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 we've just kept all this aside because we want to sacrifice to God. You know, we are very spiritual people. More spiritual than God. But Samuel still called it disobedience. The pressure of people and situations. And lastly, I mean, this is very obvious. There is temptation. It's just the devil's inducement trying to get us into disobedience toward God. And, uh, you know, we can't blame the devil. You see, the devil has no access to us except the access that we give him. The Bible says, you do not give any room to the devil. He can play mind games, but he cannot force you into sin. He can throw unclean thoughts and pictures and imaginations and try to stir up the ungodly desires in you and me, but he can never force you to sin. The Bible says, you know, in the book of James, let, let no man say when he's tempted that he's tempted by God because no God cannot tempt anyone, neither is he, is he tempted with evil. But every man is tempted when he is drawn by his own desires. Every man is tempted when he is drawn by his own desires. Not the devil. And when desire is conceived, it brings forth, it, it weakens the will. And when that is done, it brings forth sin and sin leads to death. The only thing, the only weapon that Satan has against you and me is an ability to stir up ungodly desires through thoughts and imaginations and suggestions that things that he throws into your mind. That's the only access. He can't force you to sin. But he does that. And sometimes, like the Bible says, it can be intense when the attacks of the enemy come very intensely against you in your mind, your imaginations, and pushing your emotions to the wrong side. It can be intense. I'm not belittling that. But in the midst of it all, every man is tempted when he's drawn by his own desires. Not the devil. Satan's main weapon is to get you and me in the midst of all this emotional upheaval to get you and me to question the word of God. It's like this. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat of this tree. Did God really say that you would die if you did? No, 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 no. What God actually is trying to do is to keep you away from greater realms because if you eat of that tree, then you'll become like God. Your eyes will be opened. So he tries to give us a new twist to the words. Did God really say? And so in the midst of all your emotional confusion, when you hear this uh, very spiritual but very subtle deceiving voice of the enemy saying, did God really say? We tend to question the word of God itself and yield to our emotions. But the good news is if Jesus stood, you and I can stand because he fought those temptations with the very word of God that you and I have been given. Every temptation that came to Jesus, he used the word. So you and I can stand. But these are some of the things that would bring us to a place of disobedience to God. So the challenge I want to put before us, you and me here, is you know, are there areas in our lives where we need to come into obedience to God? And I believe no matter how long we've been walking with God, no matter how many years we've been walking, you and I 
have struggles. You and I face challenges. There are areas in our lives where we need to bring into total obedience to God. It could be some personal area of our lives where God has been speaking to you about doing something, stepping out, you know, just following through on certain things, and we've been putting it off. I want us to understand that disobedience can be costly, but obedience unlocks the door to greater favor and greater blessing from God. Obedience helps you walk in the realms of the love of God, which otherwise you will not experience. Obedience brings you closer to his heart so you can know what's in his heart. Other areas in our lives. How about in our relationships? You know, as we relate to one another as God's people, in our relationships at home, husbands and wives, parents and children, God's word is very clear. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Love them. Children, obey your parents. Parents, do not mistreat your children. Don't provoke them to anger. God's word is so clear at home. In relationships in the workplace, relating to our bosses or managers, people in authority over our lives that we account to, are we walking in obedience to God? God's word. A couple of things we must, must understand is that true obedience to God allows us to receive correction without shifting the blame on somebody else. True obedience allows us to receive correction without shifting the blame. Because the moment I shift the blame, I am not really receiving correction. That's what Saul did. He seemingly received saying, yes, I have sinned. But he shifted the blame. It's because of the people. Saul, you still didn't receive your correction. You only shifted the blame. But when you're walking in obedience to God, and somebody points and says, you were wrong here. You would say, yes, I'm wrong. I need to change. That's receiving correction. That's a sign of true obedience to God. I may have opportunities to shift the blame, but I refuse to accept them. Because what's more important to me is me coming into alignment with God first. Because when there is obedience established in my life, then through me, God can bring all other disobedience into alignment. So if I'm really obedient to God, I will receive correction without shifting the blame. And again, talking about workplace situations, when we have authority figures over our lives or at home and so on, we must understand that obedience to God includes honoring God's structures of authority. I cannot say I obey God, but I violate the structure of authority He has placed over my life. Whether it's at home, your parents, whether it's in the church, the pastor, whether it's in your workplace, your manager, your boss. There's a reason why God places authority structures so that they can be order. Otherwise, there will be chaos. Imagine a team without a captain, a church without a pastor, an organization without a boss, a nation without a government. There will be chaos. So there are reasons for authority structures. But my obedience to God must manifest in my obedience to the authority structures that God has placed in my life. They do not exclude each other. But unfortunately, we spiritual people, you know, we bypass authority structures. We say, God spoke to me, so I do this. Don't understand that your obedience to God manifests itself in obedience to authority structures God's placed. I want to 
kind of bring this to a close by not necessarily putting the weight of obedience just on us. There is good news. We will go to Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. The beautiful thing is this. God not only gives us commandments, but he gives us the power to obey. The commandments of God are not grievous. They're not some burdensome. They're not something that you and I have to do with our own strength. But Philippians 2 and verse 13 says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God who's at work in you, both to be willing and able to do his good pleasure. That's amazing. The God's at work in me to first of all make me willing to obey and then able to obey. So that when I am in the middle of situations where my reasoning is so contrary to what God is asking of me, when my emotions are in an upheaval and I cannot uh, really understand why God is asking me to do something, when the pressure of people and the pressure of circumstances, when the, when the, 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 the urge of all the temptations are hitting me in the middle of all that, if I will just turn toward the Father and say, God, it is you who can make me willing and obedient, he will come through. Amen. When you're, when you're about to give up, if you will say, God, I give you the right to make me willing and able, he will come through. There may be times in life when you want to quit, when you want to give up, and you say, I cannot obey God. It's impossible for me to obey God in a situation like this. I want you to know there is a God who's ready to make you willing and able. He can give you the strength of will and the strength of ability. But you just have to give him the right to do it in your life. Say, God, I know I cannot do this on my own, but I come to you. Make me willing and able. And he'll do it. What purpose is all this serve? What purpose does going through the heat of testing, the struggle of all this, to come to a place of obedience, what purpose does it serve? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. We'll look at Jesus and then we'll close here. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Talking about Jesus, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with women cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Think about Jesus. Remember in John 15, Jesus said, you know, even I have to keep my father's commandments to walk in his love. Even Jesus had to do that through the challenges we go through in life. But the good news is, as you and I yield to the working of the Father, we come to a place of being perfected. You're being brought to a place of greater maturity in God. So I believe God's calling us to a place where we can demonstrate obedience in the heat of things when things are not easy. You know, it's like, some things are very easy to obey. 
But then there are other things where there's kind of suffering involved. There's a pressure that the situations are not easy. But when you learn obedience, the heat of such situations, you're being perfected. You're being brought to a place of maturity in God. Amen? Let's rise to our feet. Call the worship team up, please. So do you obey God as a friend or as a servant? Is your desire to abide in his love and to know the secrets of his heart? Or is your motivation just to keep God sufficiently happy so there is no fire and brimstone falling on you? What is it that motivates us in obedience to God? If you are my friends, you are my friends if you do what I've commanded you, Jesus said. Father, even as we wait upon you this morning, we know that strength will rise as we wait upon you, Lord. Father, we just pray for each one who's come forward here this morning and others were still God in the audience and you're dealing with our hearts. And the finger of the Holy Spirit has come upon a certain area of our lives where we're saying, where you are saying, I want you to obey. I want you to follow through on my word. I want you to bring this area of your life in submission to my word. And even as we wait upon you, God, we know you are the potter, we are the clay. You can change us. You can make us both willing and able to do what's pleasing to your heart. It only takes a moment for you to bring about this change, God. You can change us completely. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come into the heart of that young person, that young boy, that young girl who needs to learn to honor their parents, show them love and respect. My God, just break down every trace of rebellion and stubbornness, Lord. Come out of the heart of the father or the mother, Lord, that needs to become more tender towards their children. That they would love them and nurture them with love and rather than being bitter towards them. Oh God, that you would just remove every trace of bitterness and instead there would be the pure love of God flowing towards their son, their daughter. Father God, for those of us, Lord, who have not been able to tame our tongue, but our tongue has been a cause for failure, a cause for so much trouble in our lives. We've said things against our people in the workplace. We've said things against our boss. We've spoken ill of our superiors, and our tongue has been, Lord, a vicious venom in our mouth. You've spoken to us over and over again, but we've never tamed it. This morning, God, whoever it might be that you're putting your finger on Lord I pray that by your Holy Spirit you'll burn out every venom out of our tongue so that God we will speak gracious words towards our co-workers we will speak gracious words towards our boss and about them that from this day on God words of life, words of grace, words of honor will come out of our mouths change it Lord deal with that. 
We thank you, Father God, that you are at work in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for what you've done this morning. Because only you can do such things. Only you can bring about such change. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.